Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Quick scheduling note as we move forward. Obviously, there is so much going on right now in the professional tennis world. All of us still recovering from the three weeks in New York, Western and Southern Open, U.S. Open, back-to-back. But no rest for the weary. We head straight into the clay portion of this season. The action in Rome already well underway. And, of course, the French Open scheduled to start in less than two weeks. And so we're going to be getting doing our best to get you all ready here for all of that action at Cracked Rackets, of course, on our mini break podcast day in, day out. We're recapping the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from throughout the tennis world. We're trying to make sense of these results we're seeing on clay. How do they offer us any data, any information as a preview for what we might see come Roland Garros? And so we're going to be doing you know that on that podcast on the mini break. We're going to be focusing on the day-to-day trends on the Great Shot podcast as we get even closer. Closer to this French Open, we'll shift into full preview mode. You know, that, of course, means bringing on our favorite guests, whether it be players, coaches, members of the media uh, from across the tennis spectrum to preview all of the action that we are about to see. And then, of course, every morning we're going to give our GSP ace of the day, our picks, uh, where all of you fans can get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings for what we think we're about to see unfold. But that leaves a bit of a gap, right, in these Cracked Interviews podcasts with so many of these players playing events across the globe, taking advantage of the fact that there is a restart to this 2020 tennis calendar. It means a lot of them don't have a ton of time right now to be chatting with us on the podcast. Nevertheless, we still, of course, have the opportunity to speak to so many cool people from throughout the tennis world. We're going to continue to do that. Some of those conversations when French Open-centric will happen on the Great Shot podcast and Mini Break podcast. But moving forward, we're going to be moving our Getting to the Point episodes with our friends at Aerobar, where we focus not just on fitness and nutrition, but also the backgrounds of our incredible guests we bring on and its guests, such as Jay Berger, Bjorn Fertangelo, Laura Embry, you know, Trip Phillips, Ivan Barron, uh, Billy Pate. I could go on and on and on. And Malavia Washington, of course. Those have traditionally been Thursday mini-break podcasts. We're going to move those to the Cracked Interviews podcast moving forward. They just feel more like Cracked Interviews. We're interviewing our guests, asking them about their history, asking them about topics, not just relating to the immediate uh, what's going on in the tennis world, but also for some broader context as well. And so, that's the plan moving forward. Of course, we are so grateful to our friends at Aerobar for their continued support, for them setting up so many fantastic conversations. They did another you know, another great guest for you all today uh, in coach of Jessica Pagula, former coach of Venus Williams, of course, a former outstanding player himself. Uh, coach David Witt joins us on the show today to talk, of course, about the importance of fitness and nutrition in modern tennis, to also talk about what it was like to live in that bubble two and a half weeks in New York, what, you know, what that experience was like, of course, how Jess, you know, he and Jess, but obviously it's credit to Jess, how they've managed to come out and have the success they have in these first six weeks of tennis's restart. And just, you know, it's a fascinating conversation. David's a really funny guy, very candid, going to say exactly what's on his mind and talk about the things he think, you know, separates the good from the great in professional women's tennis. Talk about the things, you know, fitness and nutrition wise that give players the edge. It's a really enjoyable conversation. I know all of you listen uh, well, well, it's an enjoyable conversation that you'll enjoy. Hey, great shot to me. Anyways, the reason we're able to have these conversations, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. It's not going to melt in your bag, and more importantly, it's going to give you the boost you need to play the way you want to play. Uh, be sure to go to aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. Get 15% off your order. Also, be sure to go to visit our friends at Midwest Sports for your latest, any of your gear, equipment needs, rackets, clothing, shoes, strings, uh, they've got it all on MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there. Get 15% off your order as well as some other fun perks as well. But with that in mind, let's get to our conversation with the current coach of Jessica Pagula, David Witt.
Joining us now on the podcast, he was the boys' 16s Kalamazoo champion back in 1989, a 1991 U.S. Open junior semifinalist, of course, most notably from his years spent coaching Venus Williams. David Witt, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. It is our pleasure. And I'm looking at this background. Awfully impressive. I'm seeing a lot of second places. Although, now I'm looking at this 1991 Kalamazoo draw. I see an upset of the number two seed, David Witt. When was the last time you thought of that loss? (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, You're making me feel old now, bringing back Kalamazoo. But, uh, yeah, that was... uh, I haven't thought about that loss in a long time. But... um, you know, it was probably a good thing for me. It uh, helped me mature and uh, be stronger mentally. And uh, things like that happen. I mean, you see it all the time now in different tournaments, even in the pros. Uh, there's upsets early, and uh, you got to deal with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I'm looking through this resume. It is awfully impressive, Coach. So thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, And, you know, again, extensive background in history. You have a life spent uh, in the game of tennis for our listeners who aren't familiar. Uh, How'd you get your start with the game? What what brought you to tennis? Well, when I started when I was a kid, I was basically my parents dragging me up to the court. They played, you know, mixed doubles here I am seven years old I have two brothers you know we'd go up to the courts and grab a racket and ball and start fighting and uh hitting balls at each other and hitting against a wall um here in Jack's Beach so um that's where it all started and who knows you know I played other sports baseball basketball and uh who knows why I love tennis so much I think it's an individual sport you gotta you know um I guess it's kind of like a baseball pitcher. You're either a pitcher or not, and uh, you just you want the ball. You want to be out there by yourself and deal deal with things and uh, and figure things out. So um, that's when it started. Mm-hmm. And for you, you bring up an interesting point, something that gets talked about a lot, um, and we'll focus on nutrition and fitness throughout the show, but another thing early in athletes' development, especially nowadays, is specialization. You see so many players, so many athletes picking the one sport they want at 10, 11 years old and sticking with it. It sounds like that's not what you did, and in terms of for young athletes today, would you recommend they play a couple of sports, or do you think nowadays you almost have to specialize? specialize early if you want to be any good at anything no i would i would definitely suggest playing several sports um and i think you see that in uh in uh, america a lot there's so many choices uh early on kids love playing baseball i think it's a great the team sports early on to get you um you know to have fun you got to have fun or you don't want to do it And, and uh I think it's important. You see a lot of uh, outside of the, the states. You see a lot of uh, uh, players or that are one sport. You know, I don't want to say one sport wonders. Well, they can only play one sport. You hand them a, you know, but a lot over there. It's either soccer or tennis, or um, you know. But I think it's important to play uh, several sports uh, if you're talented and. And eye coordination, it helps different sports. And I think it's just whatever sport you pick after that, I think all that helps uh, build build and get you to that, that moment. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you look back at your, you know, I mentioned your resume. Obviously, you were number one ranked junior American male in the 16s and one of the top in your age group throughout your time. And you made the decision to turn pro right away, I believe, instead of going to play college tennis. What led you to make that choice? Why did you think in that moment you were ready? Well, it was a tough decision. I I think um, depends on how much experience you have at that point. I think at the time I was a senior in uh, high school, I was already playing um, pro tournaments, so I was kind of introduced to the pro level earlier than when I turned pro. It wasn't like I've never played pro up until that point. And I think I was ranked, you know, maybe, I don't know, 300 or 250. So I think I got that experience of playing in the, you know, future. I, I guess back then there was the satellites and um, futures and challengers. So you got to be comfortable. And I think. You know if you're ready. I mean, if you're getting clocked and getting killed in these matches and, 
you, then you got to go to college to, uh, you know, to make your game better. But uh, I don't think either decision is a right or wrong decision for anybody. It really just depends on what you want to do and um, then pick the school that is right for you depending on the coach that's there. And you have to ask yourself, can that coach get you and improve your game to the next level if you're going to stay a year, two, three years? Mm -hmm. Were there any programs you had circled, just out of curiosity? Were you? I know you're a Florida kid. Were you going to be the air? Or I guess would Mark Aerosmith have been your natural successor at Miami? <laughs> oh, yeah. I would have definitely gone. If Mark was, yeah, I would have gone and worked with Mark. I think, uh, but I think I, I visited Florida, Georgia, Clemson. For some reason, you know, being an East Coast guy, I was like, I don't want to go out West Coast. But then, after seeing those schools and everything, you're like, man, the UCLA's and stuff like that are unbelievable schools. And there's so many good schools around the country. And, um, you know, it just depends on uh, the coach you trust. And uh, there you considered, uh, you considered Coach Creasy, huh? Yeah, you know, I, I took my visit. You know, he had a different way. And I think everybody was like, uh, He's crazy, and you know, but he was a motivator. I think he did things a different way. Um, yeah, I mean, I but, played, you know, you know, I played for Jay. And I mean, Burger went there. I, I didn't mind that style. Yeah, it, it it'll make you grow up fast, and I think those type of coaches try to weed out uh, the people that want it and don't want it. And I think you see that in a lot of sports these days. The coaches are really, really. You know, my kids grew up in baseball and went <clears throat> played college, but the coaches are brutal. I mean, uh, they're in your face and they're telling you how it is, and if you don't like it, they're trying to weed out all the the uh, the, the weak, I guess, yeah. to say. No, absolutely. And, you know, for you, you talked about being ready. And as you know, for some players, they need that, you know, dare I say, kick in the when they're young just to help them get their uh, get themselves organized get everything together but for you as you were making your transition from the juniors to the pros and I guess this is where we can link in the the nutrition and the fitness what was the most difficult part in making that transition what it makes life so difficult from being you know one of the highest ranked juniors to trying to survive on the pro tour well, I think everybody's got to, I mean, if you lose a match because you're physically not fit, then uh, you need to get knocked over the head. Uh, but you, you see it. But in the men's tennis, it's, it's you know, these three out of five matches when you're playing grand slams, but the two out of three. But I, I think the, the main thing is met, uh, the mental game. I mean, here you are going from playing high school tennis to, you know, winning everything, playing, uh, well, I tried to play high school when I was there, but, uh, you know, playing in, in the States and, uh, here you are, you could go to college <clears throat> and play, you know, at an unbelievable school, play one, two, whatever, have a great time with your buddies, you know, have probably way too much fun. Um, or you go on the road and start traveling the world. And I think it's just the mental part of that, of, uh, you know, because it's not easy. You'll go, you'll lose first round one week, and then all of a sudden you, you have all week to sit there and go, you know, I'm pissed, I lost first round, but then you got to pick it back up and you got to get out there and you got to practice for the next five, six days. Then you got to get on a plane and travel to another place and you got to do it again. And I think that's the, the mental part of it that um, is tough. I mean, you see on TV, I think it's easier for guys. The women, you, you got to just realize that you can win a tournament next week, even though if you lose first round. You have the capability and the opportunity to play a tournament the next week and win it, and that's what you got to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, then, with that in mind, to sort of shift gears here, uh, obviously, all of us 
about to experience a tennis season unlike any other in uh, tennis's past. This quick transition from the hard courts to the clay for some of these players. And, you know, there's only 16 men and women who made the second week of the U.S. Open, but they have less than a week to transition for most of them. At most, they've had a week. How difficult do you think it will be for these players to make the jump from hard courts to the clay? And just in general, do you think the level of play we see here in these first two weeks leading up to the French might uh, suffer because of that transition? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm looking at some results over in Rome. Uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm uh, been with Jessica Bagula, American girl, for about a year. So we just got done. We were up in the bubble. We've been traveling the last eight weeks. We did team tennis. Uh, we, we really ne- never stopped training through the pandemic, and I think her results have kind of paid off. You see a lot of players that you know, they show up and we're like, well, they haven't been training or they haven't been uh, playing, getting some matches in, and they show up for these tournaments, and you can really tell. So um, I'm seeing some early round results over in uh, Rome that are, you know, very surprising, but not really surprising. Um, you know, top seeds going out. Uh, Warinka just lost yesterday. You're seeing a lot of top seeds in the women go out. Um, but it's going from the hard to the clay, you're going to have people that are very comfortable in the clay. And then you're going to have people that are like, you know, trying to move around and they feel like they're on ice skates over there and they just got to get used to it. No, definitely. And yeah, I mean, you know, you since you brought it up, I will stick with here. You've obviously, as you mentioned, been working with Jess Pagula. She was so exceptional uh, these past, what, six weeks, really dating back. You know, I we our Crack Rackets team had the chance to go to uh, Lexington, Kentucky for the Young King Scholarship event, that exhibition at the beginning of July. And then we saw through World Team Tennis all the way through the U.S. Open, uh, obviously the success she had. Uh, how much of that do you think was due to the fact that you guys were playing matches during that six-month stretch. How important is it to be, you know, match-tough right now, match-fit and confident? Is That's really the biggest gap at this point, right, given how little everyone's played? Yeah, I think it was huge. I mean, we went, there was an event in Charleston that was kind of an invitation only that we were kind of disappointed she got left out, but we actually went to that event. We just stayed there and, uh, she was an alternate, but we practiced every day, and we practiced with uh, all the women that were at that event and got good matches in. And then we went to the Lexington event and uh, got more matches in. And then the team tennis turned out to be great for her. You know, it was unfortunate on her team. Well, Daniel Collins got kicked off the team um, uh, for different reasons but uh and then jessica was on the team and got to play pretty much every match and she was playing singles doubles and mixed which was huge and uh i love the format especially for women in the world team tennis and it it trains your brain that if you are not ready from the first point and you get a good start in these matches uh you're gonna if you're not ready, you're going to lose the first set right away. And then women's tennis, sometimes there's a lot of people that just go away, um, trying to stress that uh, it's never over in women's tennis. You see a lot of roller coaster matches, but you got to be willing to compete and fight. And I think if you can show the other person on the other side of the net that you're not going away, that's going to win you a lot of matches. Yeah, for sure. Um, how much of, you know, obviously we know each other as, as friends, like, I don't know, what was your, um, mentality on the court as a, as a player and, and kind of how does that carry over to, to your coaching? Well, I was probably a cocky little brat, probably, uh, early That's on. Probably, probably why we're friends. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you learn and you mature that, um, uh, how to deal with things. I, I'm pretty laid back as a person, and I think that helps uh, being a coach because you don't, uh, the player doesn't want somebody, you know, up their tail all the time, constantly, you know, they lose, you know, hey, I want to sit down and talk for an hour about the match. And, you know, I, I think it's keep it simple. Simple a lot of times is the best way to go. 
and uh, you have a game plan of what you want to work on, and you can continue to work on that, but have dialogue with the player. You know, I think that's important, dialogue and communication. It's not always the coach's way. It's not always the player's way. I think a lot of times if you can talk it out, um, you know, and see how the player's feeling, then uh, then I think that can help. And, um, you know, Jessica's very laid back. We have a good time on and off the court. Try to just stress, don't get down on yourself, be positive, compete. Compete is probably my number one uh, Number one and most important thing out on the court is to just compete and you can win a lot of matches. Yeah, no, that's one thing. Uh, I mean, I've been playing for, well, you know, both guys. I played for Berger and then obviously my assistant was uh, Ivan Barron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I kind of, Ivan was who I preferred to be on my court because he was a little, um, little, little more laid back than Jay. Um, but yeah, both guys just focused on competing and giving yourself a chance because I mean somebody's going to lose. Um, right. I guess another question I just thought of. So to go, you know, obviously the Pagulas, I believe they're still involved with the Bills, right? They are. So right, who, who are you rooting for? Jags play Bills. Well, I was kid, but I mean, of course, I'm a Jags fan. You know, li- living here, and I gotta ride and uh, die with them which uh, this year was a surprise they won the first game but uh, I, I told her I might have to jump on the um, uh, the Buffalo uh, the Bills Mafia up there if the Jags uh, you know crap the bed here but uh, you know I'm always a Jags fan and uh, we're in some fantasy leagues and we have fun with it and uh, you know I love football so uh, yeah I'll, I'll root for the Bills too yeah, I missed I missed the U.S. Open this year. With there were there were always at least three of us spread out with our Jags gear on between you and I and uh, Scott Miller. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, you could, you could pick us out and uh, at Flushing Meadows easily. Yeah, um, we, I, would, I would get quite a quite a bit of crap wearing the Jags all over uh, from a bunch of the guys. Uh, John Isner, you know, he's a big Panther fan, and uh, we'd always have little bets here and there, and. He wanted to bet me on the over-under wins that the Jags versus the Panthers this year, and I elected to not do it. So, uh, um, but who knows well, what's going to happen. Here, here's an interesting thing you can bring up with him. I am in a football pool with he and many other people, James Blake, Harrison, a few guys, Sock. Isner is the only person of 66 teams to go 0-5 in week one. <laughs> so I'll have to remind him of that when I see him. So yeah, yeah, I mean he's he is, and I believe Blake went one and four, so they're they're buried already. Uh, yeah. But you talked about the, uh, and I like how you put it. It's how I would put it when I coach people that if you lose a match because of your fitness or nutrition, you should be hit over the head. Um, how was yours when you were in juniors and then a promo, you know, compared to like the knowledge that's, that's out there now? Uh, it's hard to compare. I mean, that, now it, it seems like it's, it's so much more uh, science in it. And, um, you know, I felt like I was in good shape. I felt like I probably could have been stronger back then. Um, uh, I felt like I could have been more of an all-court player. Uh, my transition game wasn't um, the best. I mean, I kind of lived on my my serve and forehand. And um, but now I think you got to have that all court game. You got to have a slice backhand. A lot of players, and we've kind of worked on that a lot with Jessica, either being an offensive slice backhand or a neutralizing or just a defensive change of pace, which is huge in women's tennis. Um, so I think if I would have had more of that, we're using the slice coming in volleys, you know, who knows, but then there are a few injuries here and there, but that comes, you know, the injuries again, that comes down to staying healthy. And that's probably, uh, the number one thing now is just staying healthy and, uh, giving yourself a chance every week. And that's taking care of your body. It's what you put in your mouth and, um, you know, that's why you see a lot of the top players traveling with uh, 
trainers and physios and you know they can afford it um not everybody can so you just gotta really keep an eye on uh, the training part of it listen to your body make sure you don't overdo it Mm -hmm. and and i want to follow up on that topic as well but you mentioned a little tidbit there that i can't let pass up you talked about how much you and jess have worked on that backhand slice and i think if you watched her over these past six weeks it's pretty noticeable uh the work you guys have done why was that something you targeted why you know how do you think that shot helps open up the rest of the things she's able to do in her game well, I think that's a change of pace shot in women's tennis is very important. You see tons of sluggers, and then they love pace, and then all of a sudden you give them a ball that has no pace, and they have to generate pace, and they're like they're like a fish out of water. They don't like to do it. Um, so I think it's good to have um, where you know we talk and say, hey, the slice backhand low to this girl's backhand or low to her forehand that she can just hit that whenever she wants is huge and you gotta have confidence to do that so and through the pandemic I mean literally we'd play slice backhand games or or whoever she was hitting with or train, uh, playing matches with you know, I would just say you, you have to hit slice backhand the whole set or you have to hit a slice backhand I mean, cross court games are just no, no, because she loves hitting the ball. She hits the ball very clean, has good hands. Um, and I just think adding that slice backhand is uh, huge for the transition game and also huge for change of pace. Yeah, we, um, when I was in school at UM, we, we practiced actually a decent amount with, with Venus and Serena. They'd come out and, yeah, I'd watch guys on our team just crack balls, you know, as hard and flat as they could and, you know, they're 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 laughing at the shot, you know, Venus and Serena hitting it on like on a dime and then, you know, I'd go hit my my hack backhand slice or drop shot and, you know, at B two six oh and yeah, exactly. And they'd ask to their credit, they'd ask for more. They're like they they saw plenty of people hitting the ball hard and flat and clean. They they actually if I hit it heavy or slice and they're shanking the ball, they're like and that's you know, Perezmo was chopping that slice around a bunch and they, they everyone struggled against it so yeah so, yeah i mean you look at players you know justine hennon i mean she had it she knew how to use it she used it as a drop shot she used it to move you around she used it as offense defense no one liked it it's hard to attack um so you see a lot of Ash Barty. Ash Barty has a great one. Exactly. Yeah. So you you pick out a few people here and there, but then you also look at a lot of players on tour, and they try to hit a slice back in, and you're like, you're like, oh my god, that's <laughs> that's terrible. And uh, but you also see a lot of women on tour that once you get them inside that service line. You you were like oh my god that was the worst volley I've seen you know they can't volley either and that that goes I mean I hate to say uh, Serena is not the best volleyer in the world um, but she doesn't need to be the only time she comes to net is when she has a swinging volley or a sitter so you know there's a lot of women that can't volley their technique is not good uh, just think of if they could volley how much better they'd be yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, for Jess, I know some of the players she played, like you look at Mertens in that quarterfinal. Mertens, a beautiful all-court game, right? And just someone who can really work the ball well. But for Jess, you know, you mentioned the nutrition and fitness aspect, how important that is for players. I mean, clearly right now, Jessica Pagula as fit as any player in the women's game. And, you know, how important was that for you guys? Because a five-and-a-half-month training block, and of course, you know, all of us would prefer that there was never a global pandemic that the 2020 season could have carried on as scheduled. And to Jess's credit, she had built some momentum at the start of this year as well. But what was it like for you guys to have a five and a half month training block that wouldn't have otherwise existed? And, you know, how important was it? How did you guys key in on the nutrition, on the fitness so that Jess could be in this sort of position when play resumed? Well, she's pretty smart about her, her fitness. She has a trainer uh, up in Buffalo that sends her workouts all the time. 
Um, and she does that at least five times a week. We'll do some stuff on the court, but a lot of her fitness is, uh, is in the gym, um, the off-court stuff, and then uh, obviously the obvious tennis stuff of endurance and moving and uh, all that type of stuff. We just never never really stopped. I think it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I look at myself sometimes and go, how did I freaking get this 20 pounds on me? But <laughs> it, it's, just a, it, it's just a gradual thing that if you let it go just for a tiny bit, it's like, wow, now, now I got to work twice as hard to get back where I was. So I think a lot of these players, you, you know, you take off time. It's one thing to take off from the court, but if you take off from the court and you're not doing fitness, when you start back, it's going to be even tougher to, um, to feel comfortable. I mean, if, if you're at least doing your fitness, I think the tennis will come back you know, after a little while, it's like riding a bike. But uh, if you're not in shape and you come back and all of a sudden you're going to injure yourself or pull something and uh, you're trying to get weight off, you're trying to get stronger. So it's just a lot, lot on your plate. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, the other half of that is what you're doing off of the court as well. What are you putting into your body? Are you taking your training seriously? And, you know, from a nutrition aspect, I'm curious, in during your career, because you've talked about justice discipline, how does the nutrition you see from players on tour, what they're doing to stay healthy, what they're doing to refresh their body, how does that differ from what you did during your career? I think of these tournaments, there's all these different recovery things that they can do. I mean, there's, you know, up in the bubble in, uh, at US Open, our hotel, they had a recovery room that you could go in and you put these air things over your legs and you'd sit there and, you know, there's neck things, arm things. Um, there's so many different things available to players now. Um, you know, I don't even remember back in the day, it was like if you get go in there and get, get a couple stretches in, you know, from the trainer and you felt good, you know, I, I don't know how much weight training was involved because you didn't want to get too strong. Remember back in the day when Agassi bulked up and it kind of hurt his game because uh, I guess he was bench, bench pressing too much. But um, I think the big thing is just your, your core and legs and honestly I don't think you can be top 20 or top 30 in the women's game or I should I say top 10 without like strong base strong legs you know there's different people that you know probably uh, can be up there but the majority of them are super strong in their legs yeah you talk about all the extra stuff that's available I mean that's why we that's actually why we started Aerobar and there's a bunch of you know college and pro tennis players that were talking about the fact that we had like you know basically took a banana on the court and you know right power, power bar the, the original power bar existed and it's like you know Jay would be out there you know crushing us physically and then there was actually like very little attention to detail on what we ate and not like Jay telling us the wrong thing like Jay was in unbelievable shape when he played and he didn't know about it you know, so it's of like, course. yeah, it's changed, I mean, it's, you know, a ton. Back then it was like, make sure you drink a lot of water, make sure you're hydrated. And, uh, nowadays they have so many different, uh, like you said, you know, bars. I mean, what kind of the market they have there, but what you put in your water, some people sweat more than others. Some people cramp easier. So a lot of, some people now do these tests to see how much they actually sweat within you know a time frame um and it's hard for them to replace that because they're sweating out quicker than they can put in so you know there's different drinks that you can drink to try to you know you see on tv all the time different players that are uh you know drinking different stuff out there to try to hydrate and get it back in their you know system 
Yeah, no. For sure. And, you know, it, it, it's funny you talk about that. This might be a dumb question. This might be where you swear at me, but I'm going to throw it in there anyways. Uh, you know, after, after 20 plus years of watching matches as a coach, you know, I watch these matches and I get more stressed out watching than I ever could playing. So I don't know how you do that. But, you know, Coach Witt, I saw you in Lexington and I believe you were rocking an all black outfit. I think it was a white bucket hat. And I think you were wearing long sleeves in 90 degrees. And so, how are you not sweating through that shirt, Coach? How are you sitting there so calm uh, after all these years during these matches? Well, I mean, first black makes me look skinnier. So <laughs> until I until I get in the gym and lose some weight, uh, you'll probably see me in black. Um, no, I try to the sun. You know, I, I'm not. I put on sunblock and I don't reapply it, and I get you know burned and. Uh, you know, that's that's a big thing these days, just seeing people out there and, you know, you see friend Mark, you know, tennis pros around just Jacksonville, it's uh, skin cancer issues, and yeah. so, I mean, if, if I can wear long sleeve, you know, and sweat, that's fine, I'd rather do that than uh, bake in the sun and just try to, try to be smart, you know, I mean, uh, I, I can take the heat, I'd rather, you know wear something long sleeve and protect myself. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a bold move, I guess, is really what I'm trying to say. Is you can, I was, I was just like, man, this man must be a tank. If he can sit through this in the heat in long sleeves, I was impressed, uh, obviously. But, you know, it, you well, know. I think the, ner- the nerves of watching the tennis is, <laughs> is probably way more than me wearing a long sleeve uh, <laughs> shirt. And uh, thank God no one can uh, read my mind and think of what I'm thinking and mumbling over there during these matches but uh that'd be a whole nother story if we could mic coaches during matches oh i think we should we definitely should for the entertainment value uh it'd be a lot of uh beeping on tv (laughs) yeah Yeah, we're going to bleep out a lot of things, probably. Yeah, no, I mean, after watching these NBA playoffs, I'm used to the audio cutting out every, you know, every two minutes. So it's like, yeah, whatever. It's nothing different. Um, No, just a couple of fun ones here, and then uh, obviously we'll let you go. Um, You know, from to stick with this topic as a coach, I feel like watching that Flipkins match, because I happen to have watched a lot of it, that must have been a heart attack. With all the slice, the coming in, you're like, come on, just make the passing shot. Uh, I feel like that must have been a particular stressful one yeah well the matches that you know I mean you go back to you mentioned the Mertens match it's one of those matches that uh, Mertens is kind of like you're a very very good counter puncher a lot of times um, playing against somebody that hits the ball but she can also step up and hit the ball Flipkins is one of those people that I kind of look back in my day when I was playing as a junior and I could overpower the person but if it keeps coming back and you keep going harder and harder and harder you're eventually going to miss and then the person you know I would lose those matches so it's one of those matches you get just play boring tennis you know continue to hit corner to corner and uh, not try to go for too much uh, but like we said, she's got that slice backhand. We were just talking about that, how it, how it uh, really messes with people. And, yeah, it, it affected Jessica because you give her the no pace or you give her the slice backhand super, super low, and she tries the wrong shot. That's probably the biggest thing in women's tennis is shot selection. That's why you see in tennis, when you look at stats, you see women's winners to unforced errors you see their unforced errors at 40 uh and their winners at 20 men you see the opposite you'll see their winners higher and their unforced errors lower because of shot selection Mm -hmm. um that's what i believe no yeah it's a really interesting point and obviously uh for jess so many things have been working for her of late and you know again rapid fire here it's not just jess as an american tennis fan you see you know her you see people like shelby rogers jennifer brady obviously playing so well and then you you have serena and venus uh the standard bears for american women's tennis for so long but the depth as well with all you know the danielle collins of the world the bernarda paras of the world of course anisimova kenan golf 
all of these young players. How, you know, you know, in terms of the depth, obviously, how do you think it helps Jessica to have all of these fellow countrywomen to compete against, to push one another? And what are your thoughts on the depth in American women's tennis right now? I think it's huge. I mean, I, I think um, I want to say there's, I might be a little off. I want to say there's like 25 Americans in the top like 120. Mm-hmm. Um, which is huge, and I think, yeah, they do push each other, but you also see these results that some of them have, and, and like, I look at Jessica, and I'm like, why not you? I mean, there's no reason why it can't be you next week. You have to believe that you can actually win these tournaments. You have to believe that you actually belong and I think that's a big part of why she's more comfortable now. She's, she belongs. She feels like she belongs in the top 60, the top 50. And it's not like, hey, I got to put all this pressure on myself to win because I got to prove myself. You don't have to prove yourself. Just go out there and, and compete. You belong here. Um, and then the, the 25, you know, women that help push each other. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think. American tennis, it's strong, but at the same time, uh, I'm going to say this in a positive way, the USTA has to embrace all these individual coaches that are helping the players get to where they're at. Yeah. Uh, I think we we have to work together. Um, You have to be comfortable with your coach. You have to, chemistry's got to be there. Um, and, and that's why people hire coaches once they decide, Hey, I believe in this person, I believe in what they're saying and I trust them. And then that's when it starts working. Um, and I think that's the reason a lot of people are hiring individual coaches and you see the results. It's helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Dave got done coaching, you know, from Jacksonville's Number one, number one in the country, both years in 16s, both years in 18s. And yeah, it was, he basically had the choice to go live in Orlando for free coaching or keep paying them. <laughs> you know, they, like, there was no, uh, no in between. Um, yeah. Stay with me, which is nice, but yeah, there wasn't a ton of, uh, hey, what's yeah, going on with that? Yeah, they definitely got a, um, you know, they invite players to go to Orlando. I think the coaches have to be right there with them. It's got to be a. It's got to be a, a. It could be a great thing. You get a bunch of players and their coaches there. For sure. Not, yeah, not send the player. We'll kind of take over. Great job. You did all the work, and we're gonna start telling your player maybe different things that you're telling them. You know, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. No. No, I, I think, yeah, obviously it's best when uh, all these p- entities can collaborate. We want to see all of them working, you know, in sync to uh, produce the best players. Um, all right, last two questions for you, I promise, Coach. Let's start here. Sure, no worries. Yeah, three weeks in New York in the bubble, a tennis player spring break. You've got coaches, you've got players all grouped together. Obviously, you know, people were so cooped up that we formed a brand new players association, right? The PTPA comes out of it, but... What was it like two weeks stuck in New York in the hotel with all of these people? There had to have been some funny moments. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, uh, you know, it was a lot of uh, packages being delivered, uh, food, drinks, probably wine, um, tons of things being delivered, all your meals either room service downstairs in the hotel or you ordered uh, Uber Eats. Um, security guards at every entrance, so there were people picking up the packages in Uber Eats. There's a huge table to put everything. So if you ordered something, you just came downstairs in the lobby and picked it up at a table. Um, you know, you had to have, obviously, your mask on and your badge all the time. Um they didn't want you, I mean, there was one night we were playing cards with four people at a table and a health inspector came by and said, okay, I got to break it up. You guys are too close yet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it, it was, it was tough, but at the same time, 
they did a great job. Um, USGA did a great job in making this happen. You know, there was a lot of bad press up there for some that got tested positive and, you know, said they felt like their freedom was, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I don't feel sorry for people that are playing for hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh, having a chance to go out and play a match and play the U.S. Open, but they feel like their uh, freedom's taken away. you got to take things in perspective here. So it was it was different, but it was, it was good. It was safe. You were tested every uh, four days, and you had to come down and get the nose swab. And uh, the only place you could go was to, you know, to the courts. And you'd get on a bus. It took about an hour every day. And you get to the courts and practice and eat there, and then you take a bus back an hour and be back at the hotel. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can only imagine what that routine must have been like. Uh, who's the best card player? What's the game look like? Who? What are you guys playing? Who's uh, who's taking home the money? I'm sorry, say that again. Who's the best cards player? Who's taking home the money? Oh man, well, Jessica and I played a lot of cards. She was. She was killing me in gin, so I had to I had to Amazon some other games, some backgammon, some Yahtzee, uh, trying to get some guys. You know, that's when the guys we start doing some gambling a little bit with the Yahtzee. You know, like per point and backgammon that cube can get going back and forth. Um, but yeah, at least we, at least we had some stuff to watch. I've never watched so much hockey. Uh, let's see, uh, basketball was on, which was great. And then you just, you watch some tennis matches, but mm-hmm. now you have football, which is, that's, that's, I love the NFL, so mm-hmm. it's awesome. No, that's great to hear. Well, then my last question for you, because if I was trapped in the hotel, and I guess with the existence of video cameras now, it makes it a little bit more difficult, but as some gamesmanship, like the night before that Kvitova match, I'm getting someone in my team to pull the fire alarm on her floor. Like, I'm like, this is your job <laughs> as a member of my team. Was there any in-hotel chicanery between any of these players? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I, I say everybody was uh, pretty. I mean, it's funny. They had a bar downstairs that you could eat in a little bar, and basically everybody was down there. So instead of shutting the bar down at midnight, they started shutting it down at 10, which kind of, yeah, that kind of pissed a lot of people off. You know, when you come down and you don't want to sit in your room, you don't come down and you know, have a beer with your buddies and just chill out and play some games, watch some TV, and, you know, they, they uh, made it a lot more strict. So it was it was tough, but there wasn't too much um, going on. You know, I'm mm-hmm. friends with a lot of the, the guys like Marcus, and uh, to see them hang out and um, hear about their new little, you know, uh, thing that they're they're uh, starting you know I was talking to Steve Johnson a lot and uh, it's interesting you know so yeah. who knows where that'll go no you never got like the 3.30 a.m. call like hello David this is your 3.30 a.m. call and you're like Petra Petra I know this is you you're like come on I should yeah I should have but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have enough people I should have hired some people to call into the hotel to uh ring them up every like hour yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. that, was actually, that was one of my one of my specialties when I was coaching coaching people on tour was actually just that stuff yeah <laughs> hey I just had you sleep last night well not too yeah yeah not too good somebody was calling me every uh every hour <laughs> yeah I did I, I did um I did heckle our friend Todd Martin from the coach's box when he was playing Mike Russell when I was coaching Mike. Really? So, yeah. yeah. What's Todd now is okay with, but it's it's like 11, 12, 13 years later. So, but he's good with it now. He was probably one of the better players that didn't that, – I don't know if it pissed him off at time. I'm sure there were some players that would have just absolutely infuriated with. He didn't allow me to know that it made him – angry and then he was on a flight with my parents like two years later and it's what he brought up i'm sure yeah i'm sure i'm sure off the court 
you know, when he saw you or something, he definitely would let you know. But, yeah, he was one of those that didn't. I'm sure he probably didn't want to let you know that it was bothering him. No, and he also wanted straight sets. So, I mean, it was yeah. – <laughs> I was doing I was doing my part for Mike. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we're – I'm getting ready to head down to Boca uh, tomorrow. Um, we're going to get – you got to get tested 48 hours before you leave. Uh, we're going to leave Monday. We thought about going and playing qualies at Rome, but um, she would have gotten in. But then there was a couple weeks in between. Um, we we entered Strasbourg, but the cups are so crazy right now that um, you know the Strasbourg draw was like forty something the cut, and then they cut the qualifying draw down to eight people. So she, she was actually like five out of qualies which was crazy. So we didn't want to take a chance on like going to Strasbourg, possibly catching, you know, a positive on a test, God forbid, taking a train from Strasbourg to Paris. And then, you know, the main priority is to play uh, the French Open and try to do some damage. So we're going to get tested, go over, get in the, their so-called double. I have no idea how strict it's going to be over there. Um, but just keep trying to get negatives. I mean, who thought the most positive word in 2020 would be negative? So it's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Well, you know, obviously we are wishing you luck, Coach. So thank you for taking the time to chat. Congratulations to both you and, you know, obviously Jessica and all of the success you have had here in the tennis restart. And, you know, keep doing your thing because it's obviously a pleasure. And just know anytime you're wearing those long sleeves, I will notice, Coach. No one else may notice your fashion choices, but I am and I always appreciate it. So thank you for stopping by and chatting and know that you're welcome back. Anytime. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Yeah, take care. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with Dave Witt. Again, a huge thank you to Mark Aerosmith and the Aerobar team for their continued support. Go to aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACKED15 to get yourself a case of the only tennis-specific energy bars available on the market. Of course, a huge thank you to David Witt as well for taking the time to chat. I know I speak for all of us when we say it's been so exciting to see his player, Jess Pegula, take the next step in her career, and we wish them both safety, health, and, of course, success as they get ready to start their clay portion of this 2020 swing. And with that in mind, by the way, again, if any of you want to get you've missed any of the action in Rome, you need to catch up on everything as we prepare for uh, this French Open, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot podcast, uh, the Mini Break podcast, and Inside Out podcast. Go check out our YouTube channel as well. You can see videos including myself, Jamie, McDonald, Matt Stachowiak, our usual slew of podcast guests. And then, of course, some of our interns as well doing some really cool things so be sure to go check that out subscribe so you don't miss any of our newest content uh and of course a shout out as always by the way to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this possible uh we are doing our best here to make that transition to again prepare all of you for the action we are about to see go down in europe if you want to hear our daily picks be sure to go check out our gsp ace of the day every morning but with that in mind oh and again be sure to go check out midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 for all of your equipment needs but with that in mind for my wonderful co-host mark aerosmith our fantastic guest dave witt our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy and we'll talk to you all next time thanks everyone